and nieces. <laughs> Good to be with you. Um, we're in Mark's Gospel, as um, Ephraim has said. Mark's telling the story of Jesus, a man of action, a man always on the move, um, confronting evil, doing wonders, and at the same time telling the response of eyewitnesses who struggle to come to terms with who he is. So um, this morning we got, um, we got a long reading actually, it's Mark chapter 5, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 53, uh, uh, no, verse um, 35 through to the end of chapter um, 5, in which Mark, Mark, Jesus is on a boat trip, he's on a mission trip with his disciples, and we've got four incidents where people come to Jesus at the end of their tether when all hope seems to be gone. Uh, in the first two, we see panic-stricken people shouting at Jesus in their terror. And in the second two incidents, we see desperately needy people kneeling at Jesus' feet. And all four incidents for force us, I think, to ask, who is this? So let me read um, chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care? If we drown, he got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. 
those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling, with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. 
He gave strict orders not to tell anyone, let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So, um, three, three to four great incidents, but one great theme. Jesus, the God of the impossible, who stills our greatest fears. I wonder what your greatest fears are. We're going to look at four of them, and probably that um, will encompass most of them anyway. First of all, there is, there is a fear that we live in a world of uncontrollable storms. So Jesus and his disciples are setting off by boat evening, and Jesus is asleep in the stern, weary from his day's labor, and this furious squall comes up. And it, it was fairly typical of Lake Galilee. Um, Lake Galilee is in a valley, 200 meters below sea level, and um, it's not far from Mount Hermon, which is 3,000 meters above sea level, it's often with snow on the top. So you get this hot air rising from the valley, and when it meets the cold air coming down from the mountain, um, the sea can be whipped into uh, an absolute frenzy. And this storm is so bad that the disciples, many of whom are experienced fishermen, conclude they are done for. Panic-stricken, they wake Jesus up, crying out, don't you care if we drown? Um, well, that's the world we live in, essentially, isn't it? We live in a world of natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, droughts, famines, and so on, where nature is violent and overwhelming. And we live in a world of political storms, of persecution, oppression, of social unrest, um, genocide, civil wars, where human beings are cruel and vicious. And it's a world where so many cry out to God, don't you care for us? And he appears to be asleep, utterly unconcerned. But here, Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. No dramatic gestures, no incantations, just two words in the original. Um, and the wind died down, which, of course, can happen. Um, but not only the wind, but the waves as well, which would normally take hours after the wind had died down. It was completely calm, an astonishing miracle. Jesus sleeps, the storm rises, the disciples panic. Jesus rises, the storm sleeps, and the disciples tremble with fear. And no wonder. In the original Greek, we've, we're told of a great storm, a great calm, and a great fear. And no wonder. In the, in the Bible, the sea is viewed as a personification of uncontrollable forces of chaos which God alone can control. So Psalm 89, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Now that, 
the uncontrollable sea was a world of many of those disciples, and they, along with all who sailed the seas in their day, learned to pray and learned to fear God. But here, they instinctively turned to Jesus, and rather aggressively too. Don't you care if we drown? Um, but it, think about it. If they thought Jesus was great enough and powerful enough to blame, to get mad at for not doing anything, why were they panicking? So Jesus, when he arises, not only rebukes the waves, but he rebukes his own disciples as well. Why, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? The answer to the storm, the uncontrollable storm, should have been faith, apparently. But what sort of faith is Jesus calling his disciples to? I don't know if you ever um, sang that old um, Sunday school song uh, which pictured our, ourselves, our lives, um, uh, as a boat on the sea, or as it, as it, in the words of this, a vessel on the sea. And the chorus went, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. There's that old hymn, in heavenly love abiding, no, uh, uh, <laughs> I've forgotten it now, heavenly love abiding, no, no, no change my, my heart shall fear, the storm may roar without me, but nothing changes here. It's talking about um, if God is with us when we are in the storm, we can be at peace. That's the, that's the faith Jesus is calling um, his disciples to. A God who is powerful enough and great enough to get mad at. If he can't do anything, why get mad at him? If, if he's great enough and powerful enough to get mad at because he doesn't stop your suffering, is he not also great enough and powerful enough to have reasons for not stilling the storm that we can never understand? The testimony of the disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, is that Jesus is Lord of the storm, the testimony of thousands since is that if we are with Christ, we are safe. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. For peace in the midst of the storms of life, we only need faith in Jesus. So that's the first fear. Second fear is we live in a contra in a world of unmanageable evil. So we've seen recently, you know, it's the fear of women walking alone home at uh, walking alone walking home alone at night. It's the fear of parents when their children start using using social media. Um, it's fear of too many, especially um, um, Afro-Americans in, in America of being confronted by the police. Maybe here as well. Um, fear of uncontrollable evil. And this is what happens here. The boat crosses the, the, the lake. They land in the region of Gerasenes. Um, it's, it's a Gentile pagan area and Jesus is confronted by 
a seriously demented man, ranting and raving. His condition is so severe that his um, townsfolk had tried to restrain him, either to save him from himself, or more likely to save themselves from him, but without any success at all. Um, they'd bound his hands and feet with chains, but he had just broken them. Um, earlier in Mark, um, if you've been following this, you will, have, you will have heard of Jesus speaking of the strong man no one could bind. Here is a case in point. Verse 3, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Verse 4, no one was strong enough to subdue him. So he was expelled to live among the tombs as one of the living dead. And he must have been a terrifying sight when he came charging down uh, the hillside towards, towards the beach where the boat was, um, was anchored because we are only told of Jesus getting out of the boat, um, suggesting the disciples were staying staying in safe, safety on the boat. They'd sailed out of one storm. They had no intention of sailing into another storm. Um, uh, the, the, the man charging down, that, down um, the, the cliff, to, uh, the, the, the slope towards Jesus was as panic-stricken as the disciples before him. Um, he ran, he falls on his knees. At the top of his voice, he shouts, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Um, to, cut, to cut a long story short, because we, we've got a long passage, uh, Jesus again calms the storm. Just a few words. The unclean spirits are driven out. Uh, into the unclean pigs. The pigs run off headlong over the cliff into the sea. So not only are the pigs spooked, the people, the herdsmen are spooked as well. They run into the town and afterwards all who come out of the town to see what's happened are spooked as well. They see the man dressed quietly sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. The naked, ranting, uncontrollable man sitting quietly dressed in his right mind and they are, we're told, afraid. They want Jesus to go. Um, the man may long, no longer be a threat to them but apparently Jesus is. Um, just, I want you to just think for a moment how we want to manage evil. And so often we, we are like them. We want a scapegoat to blame, to exclude, so we build prisons and we hand out asbos. Um, but like the Gerasenes, we don't want one who drives out evil living amongst us unless he begins instead to start working on us and the things in our heart that lurk there and that shouldn't be there. It's a bit like, um, you know, parents taking a delinquent son 
to the psychologists and the psychologists start asking them questions about their personal life and their marriage and they don't like it and they start protesting and say leave us alone we're not the problem he's the problem do we want people to the Lord simply to deal with the people out there who spoil our lives or do we want the Lord to deal with the problem in the world and the problem in our hearts, the things that lurk there that shouldn't be there. The response of the Gerasenes is too much like the response of the demons. They want Jesus gone. They are terrified of him. And really, is it any different today? Um, you think about, you know, um, the, the gospel of Jesus has blessed this country enormously in the past. But we do not want him in public life at all. We want him excluded into the realm of the private and the personal, which we can just dismiss as superstition. So Jesus, as for, uh, as for them, so for us, has withdrawn. He is gone. But he has not left himself without a witness. So just as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been released from all his demons wanted to go with Jesus, very understandably. Jesus refused him. He says, go back, tell your people what God has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And we're told the man went and told his people what Jesus had done for him. Go and tell them what God has done. And he told them what Jesus had done. And in that we have the answer to uh, the disciples' terrified question before. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So those are our first two incidents which tell us that the mission of Jesus is to reorder the world and drive out evil. But it also reminds us the world is not yet ready for Jesus. And so Jesus has departed but he's left behind a witness. And when you get to Mark chapter 8 you will find that the next time Jesus comes to that region thousands of people are ready to hang on his every word. So that is his mission to the world. Meanwhile, Jesus goes back to his own people across the lake because he has a mission to them as well, to cleanse and to revitalize them so that they can be commissioned to go in his name to the nations. And so we come to two entangled stories of healings. Two daughters, both associated with the number 12, the number of Israel. The woman with the flow of blood who had been suffering for 12 years and the daughter of Jairus who faces death at the age of 12 years. And they together represent the privileged in Israel and the outcasts in Israel. The, the little girl is the treasured daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, a pillar of the community. 
The woman, on the other hand, who has been socially excluded for 12 years, imagine a 12-year lockdown, because her flow of blood, whatever, whatever the cause of that, rendered her socially, ceremonially unclean. So she may not mix with people, which is why she has to approach Jesus secretly. But if we say, you know, death is a great leveler, so is incurable disease, and so is faith in Jesus. So Jairus, in his desperation, not only abandons the dignity of his status and kneels at Jesus' feet and begs for his daughter's life, and so exhibits, essentially, his faith in Jesus. Please come put your hands on her so that she will be healed. But the woman also, in her desperation, she abandons all the restrictions of the law, secretly worms her way through the crowd, expressing her faith, saying, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Um, as for Jairus, so for the woman, Jesus was her very last hope, having exhausted all her resources and all medical options over the last 12 years. So, our next two fears. Third fear, um, perhaps, you know, perhaps surgery today would have solved her problems. We are so advanced medically, but still, we live in a world of incurable problems that exhaust our resources. Um, we might think of, you know, the big C, motor neurone disease, multiple sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, or dementia or um, birth defects that disfigure and cause revulsion in others. So, um, so many of those problems isolate us from um, everybody else and people who just cannot understand what we're going through. And such had been the lot of this poor woman um, for the last 12 years. Um, she was unclean, and by the taboos of the day, everyone she touched would be unclean, if only temporarily, for their, in their case, for 24 hours. Um, but it meant she was socially excluded. Um, but she reaches out and touches Jesus, and instead of defiling Jesus, Jesus' life-giving power passes to her a flow of blood stops. She feels immediately that she is healed, that she is whole, that she is free from her suffering. But not without Jesus being aware that somebody in need has reached out to him. And so he turns round to the crowd and says, who touched my clothes? Which must have seemed to Jairus utterly incomprehensible with his life, his daughter's life in the balance and an, an unnecessary de delay that borders on malpractice. Um, a sentiment voiced by his disciples who say, you see the crowd um, crowding against you and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus stops and stands and looks around to see who had done it until the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and knelt at his feet, trembling with fear, 
and told him the whole story. Is she trembling with fear at what the crowd might do to her because all she has touched have become unclean? Or is it out of fear of the one she is kneeling before? We, we sing and dance when we have achieved something great. We are full of praise and gratitude towards those who have done something really great for us. We tremble in fear when we have encountered the Lord, or at least all in Scripture do. In response, Jesus blesses her. He calls her daughter, suggesting she's as valuable to him as Jairus' daughter is to her father. And he assures her her faith has made her well. What is this faith that not only makes us whole, but incorporates us into Jesus' family, the family he's forming round himself? You know, you talked about um, my mother and father are those who do the will of God um, and hear my word. And now here he says, daughter, daughter. What is this faith that has included her and made her whole? It's not just, it's not some sort of intellectual faith, a center doctrine. It's confident trust that dares to approach Jesus and looks to him for deliverance. It's faith that says, if I touch his garments, I will be made whole. It's faith that looks to Jesus even when we haven't worked out completely who he is. It's faith that looks to Jesus whatever situation it finds itself in. Um, this is a faith that Jairus had also expressed. I don't know how many minutes before. I don't know how long this story took when he was on his knees pleading for his daughter's life. And that's the faith Jairus must now hold on to when the messengers came and said, it's too late. Um, you've no need for Jesus now. Your daughter has died. And this brings us to, you know, our final, perhaps our greatest fear. We live in a world not only of death, but we live in a world of untimely death. And if people today do not tremble at death the way they used to, we do at the prospect of untimely death. And equally, I could say, we, we do at every situation that diminishes us, whether it's criticisms, insults, humiliations, gossip, slander that diminish our reputation or the losses that snatch from us the things that can never be replaced, our mentors, our loved ones, our health, our faculties, maybe our possessions as well. We still live in the shadow of death, of being reduced, of diminished as we move towards the grave. And however much we think, oh, we, we don't need to, I don't need to think about that for years to come. It keeps creeping up on us. But Jesus said to Jairus, and he says to us, do not be afraid. 
just believe. So Jesus goes to the house. He deals with the commotion inside as he did with the noisy spirits in the Gerasenes. The child is not dead but sleeping, he says. Then he takes the child's mother. The disciples were with him and goes in where the child was. He takes her by the hand and says to her, Talitha kum, which is Aramaic for little girl, I tell you, get up. Words the disciples could never, ever forget. Always associated with that incident. So they don't translate it. They just put it in the Aramaic Jesus spoke. And immediately the girl gets up as though she's just had a long sleep, begins to walk around, and they're completely astonished. Um, Jesus gives strict orders for them not to tell anyone. I'll leave, that for an, I'll leave that to somebody else for another occasion why Jesus keeps doing this uh, with the Jews and tells them to give us something to eat. So four incidents where we see Jesus' power and authority over uncontrollable storms, unmanageable evil, incurable diseases, and untimely death. Indeed, death itself. So Jesus is here revealed to us as the God of the impossible who can still and calm our greatest fears. He's the God who says to us, why are you afraid? Don't be afraid. Just believe. To which we want to come back and say, but what are we to believe? When storms are not stilled in answer to prayer, and evil is not driven out, and diseases are not cured, and the dead are not raised, are we simply whistling in the dark? Is our faith simply make-believe? What are we to believe? Our faith is in Jesus, who in his earthly ministry stilled a storm with a word, drove out evil with a command, healed a woman beyond any medical help with a touch and took a dead girl by the hand and said little girl it's time to get up and our faith is in Jesus who at the cross entered into the depths of all our fears and sorrows who himself was abandoned to the powers of evil to suffer a far greater anguish than the Gerasene man, who took all our uncleannesses upon himself to suffer a far greater exclusion than the woman with the flow of blood, even if only for three days, who descended into the abyss of death, but rose triumphant on the third day, and came to his disciples and said, let's have something to eat. And our faith is in Jesus, who will come again to make everything new. Until that day, he accompanies us on our journey as he did Jairus. And he says to us, don't be afraid, just believe. Because he is the resurrection and the life. For which we have not only the eyewitnesses who were present at the time, 
but the testimonies of many since who have found in Jesus peace while the storm rages all around them because they know he's with them. The joy of those restored to their right minds telling what the Lord has done for them. The wonder of being cleansed and brought into his family. Daughter, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. And the strong assurance in the face of death that he will at the end take the hands of our loved ones who have fallen in sleep and say, come on, it's time to get up. Let us eat. So how will you respond to Jesus today? Unbelief laughs. Resistance to Jesus trembles in fear. Faith trembles, begging, but rises in astonished wonder that he has loved us and he has saved us. May God grant us faith today. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.